Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Uh, If you are uh, walking with us through the book of John, uh, you may know we're in John chapter 14. If you have your Bible, you can go there, John 14. Or if you're online, you can go to whatever app you may need. John 14. John 14 is a very interesting moment within the story of the book of John. uh, Because what's going to happen here is that Jesus is going to uh, deal with the fears of the disciples. Um, In many ways, the disciples' anxiety is going to be riled up because of some things that have happened in chapter 13. Uh, Just last week, uh, Pastor Rasul preached about uh, serving in such a way where uh, we were able to wash each other's feet. And so Jesus deals with this in chapter 13 in washing feet. But Jesus says something in chapter 13 that was really challenging in chapter 13, verse 21. Uh, In the midst of washing feet, Jesus says in verse 21, one of you will betray me. Now, Jesus could have said, Judas will betray me. He chose not to do that. He actually said, one of you will betray me. Think of that. Three years the disciples have been together. They're homeless. They only have one another. Three years they've had friendship. Three years of miracles. Three years of Pharisees and Roman authorities trying to kill Jesus Three years of always challenging people to love God and know God. Three years together. And now one of us is going to betray you? Who? Jesus also said later on in that chapter, verse 33, he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. We can't go. Three years we've been together. Three years we've hung out together and we've eaten together. Three years we've done stuff together. And now you're saying you you went and you got on boats and you'd walk on water and you'd go up a mountain. You always came back. What do you mean we can't go? Three years we've built this up together, Jesus. And then finally, in verse 37 and 38 of John 13, Peter, my boy, Peter's like, look, all these people are going to fail you, Jesus, not me, okay? Let me tell you something. They, they, where you going? I'm going to go, okay? Okay, they faking, not me. I ain't one of them. And, and so Peter says, I'll lay down my life for you. I'm, di- I'm, I'm different. Our relationship is different. And Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me three times, So think about this from the disciples' standpoint. They're like, Peter is the most courageous one of us. He'll later cut off somebody's ear. I mean, this dude is like really ghetto. Like he's just all the way out there. He's going to be afraid. He's going to be afraid. So so think of this. I mean, three years they've been together. And now they're in this moment where, wait a minute, you're not going to be around anymore and we can't go? Wait, three years we've been together and now, now... One of us is going to betray you? 
In three years, we've been together, and now, I mean, the guy that we think is going to be the most courageous, he's going to fall back. Everything they have known for the last three years is falling apart. Everything they've understood for three years in their life is now collapsing. And Jesus is going to speak to a word to the disciples when they think everything is falling apart, when everything is collapsing. The other week, I, um, on Sundays, that's when we recycle and we break the boxes down and put them all together and wrap them all up, put some string on them, and I got to go down three flights of steps to get them outside to the curb. So that's what we do to recycle. My ankle's been bothering me. I really haven't been able to help out. So I decided, man, I'm just going to do all these boxes myself. Right, so we have all these boxes, right? And they're wrapped up and they're strung together and some of them are not together. And I don't know if you know this, this is very important, ladies, I don't know if you know this, but the, the level of manhood is to the degree of which how many groceries you can bring upstairs or how, many garb, how much garbage or boxes you can bring downstairs. I don't know if you know that. Men rate themselves on this. It's like, I'm a one-trip kind of man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm, that kind of, I'm that kind of guy. You know, if I got to take two trips, I'm less of a man. So that's, so that's the mentality we have. So here I am. I've got all these boxes in one hand, right? And I've got all these. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I've got boxes in this hand, boxes in this hand. I've got some boxes here. And my daughter faced with me. And I'm like, take a couple boxes, baby. I got the rest. You know, and I'm going down there my ankles bothering me I'm walking down steps I'm walking down the steps start going down the first flight of steps they just start littering out they just start littering out and I'm like I got this I got this I got this go down the second flight of steps they're just I mean it's just slowly going down by the time literally by the time I got to the end of the steps all the boxes had completely slid down my hand and I had nothing. And the worst part was the Uber was outside. So I just looked at my daughter. I was like, can you just, all right then. And I just left. And I just, there was this moment where I'm looking at all that I did. And it's completely falling apart. And have you ever had that one of that moment, like maybe you were working on a paper and it just deleted, or maybe that was in the 80s that happened. I don't know if that happens now, but praise God. But you know, you've been working on something, doing something, and you're just watching it fall apart. Like, and, and, and the reality is, is that there's going to be moments in your life where you've been investing in a friendship and you thought this was a, a forever friendship only to find out it was temporary. Like you were putting all your energy into a career and only to find out like, oh, this was a season. I thought this was life. Oh, this was a season. I didn't know that. I mean, you, you, you really invested in the way that your health would work out and now your health is not working the way you thought it was. You thought you'd be at a different place by now and now you're, you're looking at your life like I was looking at those stairs and seeing everything I was working on fall apart. The disciples have seen their life collapse and there are moments that you will feel like everything is falling apart and God has a word because when life is falling apart, you don't have to. He has a word for your heart so you can be still built, still together in a world that's seemingly falling apart. You know the cool thing about this word? Jesus is gonna encourage the disciples and he's about to get killed. I just love Jesus. Because he's like, hey, y'all okay? Y'all okay? I was like, are you okay? Like, you're about to go to the cross. And so think about this. If pre-cross Jesus is thinking about me, 
What about resurrection, Jesus? Like Jesus on the throne. How much more is he thoughtful towards me? The other thing to keep in mind is the disciples don't tell Jesus how they feel. He read their hearts like billboards. How much more does he read our hearts? How much more does he know how you feel your world is in chaos and in shambles? So much so that you haven't even navigated the emotions of your heart, but he knows the rivers of your soul. He navigates them well. He knows them better than you. And so he speaks a word to the disciples. In the midst of his dark moment, he speaks a word over them. John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Interesting, um, this word troubled, uh, if you were with us two weeks ago, you know that the word troubled, Jesus mentions it before in speaking about him going to the cross. The word troubled is a very interesting word. Uh, um, The word is actually found when the angels were stirring up the waters at the pool of Bethesda. Um, The word stir is troubled. Uh, Troubled in the idea of what he means here is the suspicion you have regarding betrayal, the confusion you have regarding my departure and the disappointment you have regarding Peter. All of those emotions that you have, sometimes they can begin to swirl together and feel like an internal hurricane, causing anguish, causing doubt, causing confusion, troubled. And the interesting thing that the way that Jesus says this, he says it as if we have control over our troubled hearts. Because he says, let not your heart be troubled. In other words, you can be a participant in causing the hurricane to have peace in the heart. He says, let not your heart be troubled. It's stirring. There's confusion. There's doubt. There's disappointment. Jesus says the same word in John 12, 27. As I mentioned before, he says, now my soul is troubled. But what did he do next? He says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, he says, but for this purpose, I've come to this hour. The minute that Jesus, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. But he says, I feel trouble too. But then he speaks a word over himself. And once he says that, it's as if he's teaching us how to become emotionally healthy people. He identifies, I'm having trouble. He says, oh, he doesn't just say, let not your heart be troubled. He says, no, I've had trouble too because having a hard emotion is not a sinful thing. I'm sinless. No, that's not the issue. The issue is I'm dealing with trouble, but lost, what he says, but I, but I know my purpose. And so he speaks a word over his troubled heart. In the same word, that's why he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He gives him a word to speak over a troubled heart. It is interesting, this troubling of the soul the word he gives them. Believe in God, believe also in me. Sometimes people presume this is a salvific text, but it really isn't. This is a text about trust. The way that it's rendered, what it essentially means is the same way that you believe in God transfer that same type of trust into me. 
Now, here's the thought. What did Jesus just say? I'm leaving. What's their greatest concern? His departure. So in light of that, what is it about God that they need to transfer? It is this. They have never seen God. So in the same way that you trust in God that you've read about, heard about, saw only in stories, the same God you've never seen, transfer your deep trust in the invisible God in the same way that you won't see me, transfer that trust to me. And what Jesus is teaching them is how to believe when you don't see. The way to deal with that stirring, that hurricane in the heart, oftentimes is the anxiety of our need to see, of our need to have our expectations met. Jesus later in John chapter 20 will speak to this reality to Thomas. Thomas who's going to speak here in just a minute here in chapter 14, John 20. Jesus, uh, Thomas is just like me and you. Thomas needs stuff verified. You know what I'm saying? I need stuff confirmed. I can't just take your word for it. I got to, if I'm going to believe, I got to see it. And so they hear, he hears that there's been a resurrection. He's like, well, look, I'm not one of these suckers out here that you could just say somebody rose from the dead. Like, I'm not one of these punks out here. You know what I'm saying? You got to, I got to see it. I got to see it. So he says in John 20, unless I see in his hands, mark of the nails, place my finger into the nails, place my hand inside, listen, I will never believe. I got to see it. I got to touch. Now, eight days later, Jesus walks into this room. He literally walks through the door. And verse 27, it says, then he said to Thomas, Jesus comes up to Thomas and says, put your finger here and see my hands and put, on, put, and put out your hand and place it in my side. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. He encourages him to believe. Jesus meets his specific expectations. Remember he said, I got to touch, I got to see. Oh, Jesus is like, okay, you see it? You good? Now, look what he says. Verse 28. Thomas says, oh, my Lord and my God. In other words, Thomas goes, yes, I now believe. And Jesus said to him, now it's interesting because Jesus poses a question. Have you believed because you've seen me? Have you believed because you've seen me? Now, he's not actually rebuking this. He, he's really just saying there's level to this thing called belief. He's saying, no, you've believed because you've seen me. That's good. I get it. You need things verified, clarified. You need to be under, you're not one of them. I get that. But understand this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed, 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 blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. See, our internal construction of the soul tells us this. Blessed, we are blessed when we have our expectations met and materialized. When things are working the way we thought they were, they were supposed to work, that's when we're blessed. When our family is working the way we thought it would, that's when it's blessed. When life is working out the way we thought it would, that's when it's blessed. And he's saying there's something different. He's saying there's a different kind of blessing. And here's what he's teaching them. When you only need things verified and clarified through sight, it is the pathway to stress and anxiety. Because stress and anxiety is that feeling, that emotion of physical tension, 
You feel when life is not working. You're not seeing. You see, you've become dependent on needing to see things, need things clarified where there's no clarity. And you're not seeing anything work out. And now you are not blessed. You are completely stressed. And through that stress, you are becoming worried and confused because things aren't working the way you thought they would. Life is not worrying, going the way you thought. In fact, things are falling apart. And what Jesus is teaching is that when you have, listen, when you have unmet expectations, that is the pathway to tremendous blessing. The moment that you put your hands out to God and you said, I thought life was going to work this way and it is not working that way at all. He says, wait a minute, you're not seeing what you thought? You are about to be blessed. Not blessed in something materially, but in something he's giving you intrinsically because when you don't see God moving, but you still believe God to be God. In other words, you're trusting God and you know, I've got you. He's saying that is a tremendous blessing in the soul, believing without seeing. In other words, you're saying, God, the blessing is you. I already have you. I don't need all these things to materialize. And when you always have to see what you are constantly saying is, God, you've got to prove to me you're still in my life. You've got to verify to me you're still in my life. You've got to clarify you're still moving. Blessed are you when you don't see God moving. You still say you're a moving God. Blessed are you when you say, God, I don't see anything happening, but I know you're a happening God. Blessed are you when you are alone and you want to feel something around you and you go, but I know I'm not alone because of you. Blessed are you when you see nothing in your life working, everything falling apart. Do you know that everything can be collapsing and your heart not collapse? Everything around you. And he holds you up. And it's only because of Jesus. And there will be times when people will think, I bet they'll collapse. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to collapse. <laughs> They're like, well, you lost everything. I, but there's one thing I still have. And that's all you need. And I, listen, he will eat away at everything. He'll eat away at everything. He will rework all your expectations. Because you can get that blessing of believing without seeing. Anxiety is so much a part of our culture today, isn't it? It is so much of the rhythm of life. And it is because we see so many people going through mid midlife crisis, quarter, I didn't even know what a quarter life crisis was. What's a quarter life? 25? You're in a crisis, baby? Man. And, and, and people are trying to be so accelerated by which where they should be right now. And you know why? Because they say, I don't see it. But anxiety is when you see it happening for someone else. Oh, you see it. It's just not happening for you, praise God. Yeah, you see it. Oh yeah, somebody being blessed. It's just not you. And so your anxiety is coming from the place of comparison because you're like, man, I, 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 I believe and don't see for me, but I believe it's happening for them. So what's happening with us? And God is trying to whittle down all of your expectations until he is enough. Sometimes things aren't collapsing simply because you aren't strong enough. Sometimes God is the collapser. He's the one making things fall apart. He is enough. 
Oh, blessed are those who believe and do not see. You believe in God? Believe also in me. You've never seen God? Believe in me. When I go away, trust in me. He's teaching the disciples this in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of their doubt. And so Jesus, as he's building them up and encouraging their heart, he says to them in John 14:2, the next verse, remember, they want to go where Jesus is. They want to be with Jesus. And so he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go prepare a place for you? Jesus, in this verse, is trying to get at this idea of heaven. And he calls it his father's house that has many rooms. Interesting here, um, heaven can be called many things. Here he says father's house. But heaven is called many things. Heaven is given the analogy of a country, a city, a kingdom, a paradise, and a father's house. What about this was so comforting? Well, Jesus says, I'm going to this place called my father's house, and the idea is this is home. He's trying to give them a picture of what home is like. And he says, I'm, I'm preparing a place, my home. I love that Jesus, when he says prepare, it's really getting at the idea that his death, burial, and resurrection were all preparation for us to be with him. He says, I'm preparing this, this cross I go to, it's preparation for you to be with me. But in this imagery of a home, it really harkens back to how Jewish young men would bring their wives to be into their home. They would build a wing on into their father's house. So young men would never leave. They would just build on to the house that they already have. The concern of the young lady would often be, do you have room in your house for someone else? And he's like, no, 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 there's room. We're going to build a space in my father's house. And, and listen, in your father's house, remember, the, the man would probably be 40 years older than his son, so he has wealth and all this. So the minute a young man would say, my father's house, a woman would feel taken care of. She would feel supported because she's in her father's house. In the same way, he's saying, I've got a father's house. You're the bride. I'll take you in. There's room in my father's house. I've built out a space, not through construction, but through resurrection, through my life changing. That's how I'm building out this house. I've got room. There's room for you. There's room for you. There's room. I've built it out for you. But the picture he wants them to walk away with is home. This is not home. Your heart's troubled because you've made this home. It's really not just how you believe. You think this is home. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exile to abstain from passions of the flesh. He could have said, believers, beloved, abstain from passions of the flesh. But what he says here is, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. 
I urge you as people living in a temporary situation to stay away from things that will take away from your eternal hope. I urge you not to forget where your home is because you will become too attached to temporary things. Last week, or maybe two weeks ago, we went to, my family, we went to New Jersey. Went to an Airbnb. Praise God. Went to an Airbnb out there, me and my kids. And my children and my family, their vision of packing is so unique. Um, We're only staying a week. How much stuff can we bring for a week? It'll amaze you. And I'm packing this car up and I'm like, good Lord. It's a lot of stuff. And we're packing and we're going and we're doing all this stuff. And I got to keep reminding my kids, we're only going for a week. That can stay. But there is a, a trip mentality and a moving mentality, right? Like when you're going on a trip, there's a sense where you pack light, but when you're moving, you don't just pack, you you get ready to move. I mean, you're bringing couches. You're bringing not just pillows, you're you're bringing the whole bed, praise God. There's a weight to how you bring things into a hotel or an Airbnb when you know it's temporary, but there's a whole other mentality when you know it's home. And what I'm trying to tell you is there are certain people that you've treated as if they're eternal. They're only temporary. You're treating your career like it's eternity. It's temporal. Be very careful about making eternal investments into temporary things. Because you'll you'll carry things that are heavier. And they weren't meant to be carried. Can you imagine that, my daughter? Like, can you bring the couch? No! Because we're going to an Airbnb. We only stay in for a week. I'm bringing a bag, not a couch. And I'm saying that some of us, the way that we carry life, we carry couch-like issues when we really need to pack a light bag. Because why? We're sojourners and exiles. And you've got to see your career as temporary, boo. I'm I'm sorry. I know, I know, I know. It's everything, but it's not. It's temporary. What if you started packing life lighter? What if you started packing a little lighter? What if you realized what you can't take with you? What if you packed a little lighter? Maybe it would be a little heavier. I mean, it'd be a little lighter and some of that heaviness that you carry. Maybe, maybe if you took his yoke, his burden, his, his burdens are eternal. His burdens aren't about seeking approval from man. His burden is light. Pack light. Reevaluate the things that you are carrying. And it will totally change the way that you assess your priorities. There's a heaviness to life, no doubt. But there are some things that don't have to be this way. Our greatest 
fears oftentimes as if God takes something from us, right? Especially when it's working. <laughs> Yeesh. And sometimes him taking can be the greatest thing that can happen to you. Because you, you turn people and things into meaning and definition. Start to define you. Start to make you who, into who you are. Start to find your identity in it. So he takes it from you. Because you needed it to be lighter. Because you would have, this is for my kids. I'm like, you can't bring it. You just can't. But no. And God is causing you to take a diet of some things, even now. Even right now, some of you, God has removed things from you right now. He's removed relationships. He's removed people. He's removed things that you thought were going to work out. And he's removed them because you placed too much emphasis and identity in it. And he's doing it to create a greater space in your life for himself. And he will continue to do this on the journey of sanctification. He'll continue to do this on your journey to growth. But he's going to continue to do this till you get home. Home hits different. That's what he's saying. Home. Aren't there days when you just tired? You know, you know what I wish somebody would have told me about parenting? Fatigue. I just wish somebody would have just factored that in. I'm like, my kid's going to know Spanish. I'm like, do y'all know quiet? Y'all <laughs> be quiet. Can y'all speak that? I just don't talk. Like, I, and what I'm saying is, there were so, I had so many plans as a parent. Then I became a parent. And it wasn't, it wasn't, I'm about to be like a poet. I became a parent, and then it became apparent that I'm tired. This has nothing to do with intention. I'm just tired. And I know why the youngest end up the way they do. I'm the youngest. And I'm like, my parents are so inconsistent. They were tired. They were tired. I didn't know. I'm like, see, my, my mom said she was going to do it. She's not going to do it. She was wore out. My third one's raising herself. It's like Mowgli from the Jungle Book. She's basically on her own. She's on her own. We're praying our, we're just like, we hope, you know, I don't know. I don't know. We're tired. Like, I just didn't know that. Because I had all the, oh, I'm going to be this. And I'm, no, I'm not. And once you get, once tiredness hits you, like, and I'm not going to be it. <laughs> and that I'm not that kind of parent. <laughs> it's apparent I'm not that kind of parent. Tired. I just didn't factor that in. I had no idea. And that's, and that's how the city hits, right? Because there's all these plans you make. And then you get tired. Like, oh, man. Right? Fatigue. It's really daunting. It's really daunting. It's tiredness. But I also realize some of my fatigue are, are because of my expectations of myself. Like it has nothing to do with them. It's all about me. 
Like, maybe I'm just tired. I'm not a good parent. Maybe I'm just tired. Think about that. Pray about that. Oh, man, I need to, and as a pastor and as a leader, and as, oh, I need to be doing that. Maybe I'm just tired. Maybe I need more rest. Maybe God is blessed in me resting and doing less than me trying to be stressed and do more because it's not, because he's not impressed when I'm wore out. Like, I'm going to impress him. I'm going to do more for you and lose my eyes and fall over and die. The Lord's like, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's what I've been wanting. That's it. That's it. Wait, make him pass. Angels, get him to pass out right there on the street. What? But it it just feels like there's all these silent expectations I still walk around with. I'm trying to be something. Isn't that true of you? You don't have to say amen. I'll say it for you. Amen. Aren't there these things that you just, you, I mean, just wearing on you because you're not enough? Yeah, or you thought you'd be more? Yeah. Yeah. And that just, isn't that, oh, isn't that, it's just, that's heavy. Yeah. Part of those things that are, you're carrying are just expectations that are not from God. And, and, you know, I, I think um, Jesus, as he tells this, this narrative, right, of like um, home, Thomas does what we would all do in this situation. Thomas is just like, how do we get there? But he, they, he, doesn't, he doesn't, this is the cool part. In verse 5, chapter 14, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And I just think this is such a cool verse because, you know, on uh, Facebook, we put the sermon highlights. Like, we're like, what's the best thing he said? If I was writing the Bible, it would just be one big highlight reel of dope things I ever said. But like, you know, like a preacher sometimes says something like, I didn't get that. Like, that's what just happened there. Like, he's like, you know, my father's house, many mansions. I prepared for you. Boom. Thomas like, what? What? What does that mean? I don't even get what you're going with that. And they put it in the Bible, which is dynamic to me because it tells me that the Bible writers and God himself is not trying to make himself look pres- pres- uh, impressive. I think he's trying to be authentic. I think he's trying to show authentic doubt. In an authentic life. Jesus, the greatest teacher on earth, right, says this, and they're like, I don't get it. But so they're like, what father's house? What's that all about? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, it's all Thomas is like, I just want to get to the Father then. Is that where you go? But remember. Thomas is not even thinking, Thomas is like, I just want to be with you. Where are you going? Because that's all I've known for the last three years. I've built my life up three years with you. Where are you going? He says, I'm going to the Father. Well, how do I get there? He says, well, through me. I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You want to get to the Father? You got to go through me. Obviously, this is a classic verse, very well known. But Jesus, when he speaks about the way, he is clearly saying the way to God. He's saying he's the truth from God. He's saying he's the life in God. What ultimately is happening is 
Thomas is trying to figure out, how do I get there? But what is also happening in our lives is we are trying to figure out what is the right way. Uh, Someone who may not know God is trying to earn their way to God, right? They're trying to figure out a way to know God and have eternal reward. Even, I mean, you know people on the street that don't even know nothing about the Bible, but like, I'm going to heaven because God knows my heart, right? So everybody's got this intrinsic thing of they're doing the right thing or they want to do the right thing. But if you're a believer today, you know that there's nothing you can do to earn your way into a relationship with God. It's all by grace, But it is also interesting, though, that these are believers and they're asking, how do we get there? How do we be with the Father? And Jesus says, well, it's me. And as you're trying to do the right thing, what we're really trying to do, even though we know the Lord Jesus Christ and we know that we've given our lives to them, we are trying to live right. The Bible would call it righteousness. We're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to have the right life, make the right choices, right career, right health. We're trying to do the right thing, be the right parent, be the right teacher. And although we are to give our best in honor of God, our righteousness in this life cannot be fully from ourselves. Our righteousness, the way, the way to have life is through him. It is his righteousness. It is his righteousness. He is the perfect parent and the perfect leader. He's the perfect pastor. It is his righteousness. That is how I will have the ultimate reward of being home. Not by earning man's approval. It's his righteousness. And what is sad is that we, because we want to be impressive, we are, it is very natural for us to put on a false righteousness of self-promotion and seeming like we're doing things right. I cannot tell you how much I fear for the world of pretend we live in. That's the only reason why we do growth groups. So you can be honest. Like just have some community where somebody can be like, I'm failing. Me too. So somebody can just be honest. Because, oh, imposters. We're such imposters. We're such pretend people. We are, you are struggling and you are dying to be honest about how unright you are. You are not the right parent. You're their parent. You are not the right leader. You're the leader. You're not right. You're not doing it right. And that's what's going on inside of you. You want make, you want to seem impressive and you're not, and you're pretending And you put on a show and you put on airs and you want to be impressive, but you're not. And it's on all of this performance is because you want to have a righteousness of your own. You want the way to be through you. 
I don't care how much Bible you know, there is something deep in our hearts that wants to feel like we went to heaven and God goes, glad you're here. (laughs) Man, glad you're on the team. There's something inside of us that, that needs that sense of approval. And the Bible says that we do not have a righteousness of our own. The Bible says that, Paul says it this way, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I don't have a righteousness of my own. Do you understand the intrinsic power of that statement? I don't have a righteousness of my own. It's an alien righteousness. If I do anything right, it's because of Jesus. I don't have a righteousness of my own. All of my ability to lead and all of my ability to parent and all of my ability to teach, it's coming from a righteousness that's alien from me. It's not of my own. I do not get it right. And isn't it good to be authentic and real and not have to be trying to be right when you're really not? You can be honest about marriage and it can be a hard place. You can be honest about manhood and say you're confused. You can be honest about womanhood and say you're trying to figure it out. You can be an honest authentic Christian and show that there's ambiguity between the, the projected you that you've always want the world to see and the real you because there's a tremendous gap there. There's a tremendous gap there. And the gap is wider than you've told us. The gap is wider than you told your friends. Oh, that gap is deep and it's wide and it's embarrassing and Christ died for it. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Christ died to mend the gap between the pretend you and the real you so that you could walk that mile and say, I have a righteousness not of my own. And when like those boxes, like your health and life, when they fall out your hands, and you're looking at life and like, nothing is working. I'm not doing this right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not leading right. I'm not teaching right. I'm not, I'm not being the person I thought I would be. I'm not doing anything right. And you look, it's just like, this is collapsed. You don't have to collapse when life is collapsing around you. When the thing you've been working on, you know that thing you've been working on, that career that you've been working on, those relationships you've been working on, and they're gone. When you see that turn a corner, you do not have to fall apart. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I am the righteous one that holds you together when everything's falling apart. I am your righteousness. That will radically change your life. When you settle in on not having a righteousness of your own. Father, we thank you for the alien righteousness of Christ that has been bestowed on us from God himself. We thank you, Jesus, that you set us free. You set us free. Free to be what you've meant for us to be. Free to be with you. Free. 
free, Jesus. And he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now unto you, God, we ask that you would just take us a little bit deeper into a relationship with you. Take us a little bit more into wisdom from you. For you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And let me walk that path from the pretend me to the real me as I get closer to you. In Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.